Chopper Reed, he uh, recorded an interview before he died in which he claimed that he and another prisoner actually killed the child killer in Pentridge. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. Today I want to talk about the mystery of the disappearance of a little boy called John Landos back in January 1973. John Landos was the oldest son of a a couple from Cyprus originally. They were migrants who lived in Sunshine and they used to go for holidays down at Lawn. And on this particular day in January 1973, young John was 13 and he thought he was big enough to go shooting with his father and his father's friends. And they said, yes, you can go shooting with us uh, if you turn up at, you know, five o'clock or whatever and come back from the beach and we'll go shooting. Anyway, the men were ready to go shooting at at the appointed time and young John didn't turn up. He turned up a few minutes late and missed his chance and he got very angry and he uh, he lost his temper and he stamped off in a rage and his mother was quite concerned that he didn't turn up for dinner that evening and when his father got home with his friends later that night they'd been spotlighting rabbits um, the father went out and looked for him and couldn't find him the mother took her daughter down to the police station because the daughter could translate to the local police. The local policeman brushed them off and said, look, he's probably gone to the pictures theatre. When the film's finished, if he doesn't turn up, tell me then. Anyway, uh, he didn't turn up. As it turns out, um, there's a family in those days who lived on the outskirts of Lawn and they were just uh, sitting down to have their, their dinner that night as the sun set and they looked up and they saw this boy walking past them. They didn't know the boy, but they saw a boy walking past their house on the road from um, Lawn to Dean's Marsh up through the Otways. And one of them said, gee, that's funny. Why is that kid walking off? You know, it's just falling dark. And they didn't think any more about it until much later. The fact is that John Landos was never seen again from that day to this. It was one of the terrible mysteries of the 70s. His parents were stricken with horror and fear, but also hope that he'd just run away. They clung to the belief that he'd run away. They listened to every conceivable rumour that he might have joined a group of surfies or he might have hitchhiked up the coast. His father, um, he called himself Ken, his real name was Kyriakos, he spent the next, the rest of his life really driving around Australia in response to any rumour of a a boy being seen somewhere. He put up posters all over Australia of pictures of his son saying reward offered for, you know, any information about my son, John, who's went missing at Lawn back in January 1973. It was a terrible, terrible time for this family. And what they did, the Landos family, because they thought that one day their John might just walk back into Lawn they bought a house there. They bought a, an old house in the main street of Lawn and they did it up and they spent every spare weekend, every spare day, every holiday they spent at Lawn renovating this old house and they eventually moved there uh, most of their time because they hoped that one day their son 
would turn up. It was a very forlorn hope, but it was the only thing they could hang on to. What really happened? Well, here's what probably happened. 20 months after John Landos disappeared, another boy up at a little town called Haddon near Ballarat was walking home from a friend's place uh, after school. It was um, a Thursday night after school. It was September of uh, 1974. And this boy, name of Greg Cowie, uh, it so happened that his dad had been away in Melbourne working and had two flat tyres. Uh, because he had the second flat tyre, he couldn't get home in time, so he called his wife, Greg's mum, and Greg's mother had to drive off using their other car to pick up Dad down the highway. And that's why um, she wasn't home at the time. One of the neighbours saw young Greg walking past the uh, local store towards his house and thought, oh, after I finish my shopping, I'll pick him up and give him a ride. But when she started driving home, Greg was gone. He'd vanished from the side of the road. And she couldn't um, work it out. Although she did see a grey ute pulled over on the wrong side of the road, further down near an old abandoned farm building. She didn't think much more about it until later. When the parents finally got home that night, Greg's missing. They were terrified. Uh, They contacted the police. The police contacted other police. Really, um, nothing much happened that night, but interestingly, at three o'clock in the morning, that is about nine hours after Greg's vanished, a, a stray policeman pulls up a grey ute down at St Albans on the outskirts of Melbourne. And in the ute he finds a man driving the ute and he saw what he thought was a fair-haired boy asleep under a blanket in the ute. The policeman took a note of the man's uh, rego and his name and let him go. But the next day when the news broke that Greg Cowie was missing from near Ballarat, they decided that that ute could be interesting and they traced the owner. The owner and driver of the ute was a man called Reginald Isaacs. He too was a, another, um, he was a British migrant, as were the Cowies. He'd come out as a young man from England with his family to live at Geelong. Uh, it turns out that he had a cloudy past, that he'd um, left England one step ahead of the law. It also turned out that Reginald Isaacs was a child sex offender who had already served a long sentence in jail for raping an 11-year-old boy. So the police said, this is our man. They went and found Reginald Isaacs and a detective from Geelong called Joe Flynn persuaded Isaacs to um, take him to where uh, he'd buried poor little Greg Cowie up in the Wombat State Forest. They found Greg Cowie, but uh, there was still unfinished business. Joe Flynn, being an astute detective, wondered about the mystery of John Landos, who disappeared 20 months earlier, of course, down near Lawn. And he thought, I will go and see Isaacs about this after his trial. Another policeman had the same idea. What happened was... Isaacs was convicted of Greg Cowie's abduction and murder in the Supreme Court. He was sent to Pentridge Prison. 
the police were going to go and talk to him in Pentridge Prison about the Landos case in order to solve it, in order to put it to rest, because they were fairly certain that this man had abducted John Landos, you know, back in the previous year. And what happened was, Reginald Isaacs was um, found dead in Pentridge Prison with a towel knotted around his neck. Um, this was written off as suicide at the time, and in fact, it might have been suicide. However, interestingly, if we leap forward 40 years to 2013, Chopper Reed, uh, before he died, Chopper Reed knew he was going to die, and he, he uh, recorded an interview before he died in which he claimed that he and another prisoner actually killed Reginald Isaacs, the child killer, in Pentridge in 1975 and made it look like a suicide. Uh, it's probable that that happened because it was an unusual event for him to bring up after 40 years. And I don't think the authorities were terribly interested in whether he suicided or was killed because everybody wanted to get rid of him. So the mystery of what happened to John Landos actually died with his presumed killer, Isaacs, in Pentridge. The Landos family were never told about Isaacs. They never realised that their son's probable killer, the person who probably knew where their son's remains were, was now dead and would never be able to talk about it. And the great tragedy of this is that they never knew about Isaacs' existence until many, many years later when uh, a cold case detective, um, a homicide squad detective called Brent Fisher, was given some old files to go through in 2002-2003 and he took a great interest in this case and he felt very sorry for the Landos family and he made it his business to find out all about the Landos case and he interviewed the family. By this time John Landos's younger brother Andrew and his sister uh, had grown up and they'd grown up of course in the shadow of their brother's disappearance. It was a terrible thing for them to grow up in those circumstances and they really wanted to give their parents some peace. Well, Brent Fisher was not able to solve the crime conclusively, but he was able to put together such a strong circumstantial brief that ultimately the Landos family were able to believe that their, their loved one, John had been abducted on that back road in the Otways back in that same night that he vanished, abducted by uh, Isaacs who was known to have been cutting tea tree down there and driving his grey ute on, in that area. Uh, that was a fact. He had been cutting tea tree. He did use that road. It seemed almost certain that he had picked up John Landos on the, on the road, uh, abused him and done away with him. They think that he was probably buried um, up in a district out of Geelong where Isaacs lived briefly for um, a couple of years before, he was, before his arrest for the Cowie murder. And um, it seems fairly likely that John Landos' remains are up somewhere in the forest, in the, the, uh, in the hills between Geelong and Meredith. And that is where that story ends. It'll never be solved conclusively, 
because Isaac's never told anybody what he'd done. He didn't tell members of his own family who were a blameless family. He was just really a bent unit. He was someone who was born with uh, a mental problem and uh, his family were quite respectable and quite horrified by his actions. Uh, but it's one of those mysteries that were never really laid to rest. But Brent Fisher did what he could to bring some peace to the Landos family. And um, as such, has done the very best that any police officer can do. And that's the end of one of the saddest stories in um, cold case history. You can read my column in the Sunday Herald Sun or online at heraldsun.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.